Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to FSU Live, another edition. My name is Tim Baghurst, and today's guest is Ryan Quinn. He is a professional MMA former fighter and now coach. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Really excited to have you on just to talk about something that, that I don't know as much about. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this and, and what you're doing now. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a couple months now. I love this show. Um, I uh, just, well, I, we could focus on the coaching and then work our way backwards, which you know a lot about. Um, but I'll talk about myself and mixed martial arts. I was a professional mixed martial artist, as you mentioned. I was a, uh, I started my martial arts career as a wrestler in, in high school. I was all American, two time Connecticut State runner up. Started wrestling division one. Uh, long story short, I transferred home and the school that I transferred didn't have any wrestling, but there was this MMA slash Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Academy close by. So I tried that out and uh, I still love competing. I was never, even today, I'm not like a fighter, so to speak, but I, I absolutely love competing. And I was like, okay, maybe this is next. And there's a couple bucks to be made here. Let me give that a shout. So uh, that brought me down to Florida. Career went well, was going well. Um, I was signed with one of the major promotions, which has uh, recently has been uh, acquired, Bellator MMA. They, uh, I was at one point, I was ranked in their top ten in lightweights in their lightweight division, and I had moved down to Florida to train full time at American Top Team, which is uh, the leading mixed martial arts team in the world, one of always one always in the top five every year. And then I took over their amateur MMA program, and it was. Uh, it was quite an experience for me. Uh, I, uh, I'm sure we'll get more into this after. I wasn't immediately a good coach. In fact, I think I was a horrible coach to start. I, uh, it was an MMA club. It was a, um, it wasn't a team, so to speak. It wasn't a program. It was just something that Phil and they said, Quinn, we need someone to teach this. And I was like, Hey, you know, I need a few bucks. Let's do it. And, um, you know, the numbers started to grow and we had fighters that really wanted to compete. I didn't want to throw anyone into the wolves, so to speak, because as we know, mixed martial arts is a very aggressive sport. Uh, so we started some grappling matches. And then I said, all right, I really need to tailor a program now because I'm holding these kids back. Not even necessarily for me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm stopping them from growing their career. So then I, I, the first thing I did was look at myself, the issues that I was having personally. I took that personal inventory, spoke with my coaches. How do you do things? And then, of course, the sport is something I knew about. How do I implement what I know? And then things really started to go on, on in a positive manner for us. But before things got better, they actually got worse. <laughs> so I said, guys, we're going to take a real aggressive step. I know you want to compete. I had a meeting. By guys, I mean men and women. I said, um, I know a lot of you want to compete. We're going to do that. We're going to be a little more aggressive with scheduling uh, bouts. And we'll go from there. So in our first 10 matches when that first year, we started one and nine, and that was really difficult, really tough to swallow. And then uh, after that, we we went on quite a tear. We won 12 fights in a row. Uh, we we won our first two titles in that run and eventually won a third later that year. And things really started to blossom. And now these I, I knew I really started doing a good job because some of these fighters that started underneath me were they were not just successful amateurs. They went into their professional career, and now you're going to see some of their names in the UFC and Bellator and PFL in the in the next year or two. So I, I really set their foundation well. 
And uh, that's that's basically it. I still help out fighters. I'm not there full time anymore. Um, I still train with them when I can. Just when COVID happened, it kind of threw things through a riz. I also coach um, grappling now at a local academy, and I have a lot of fun doing that. That's a little bit different. I compete in grappling myself when I can, and that's basically my story. And I love coaching in all aspects. In fact, um, especially in football, I, I think that uh, – offensive coordinators in football and just the football game in general. There's so much stuff that us as fans don't see. And I just love breaking that down. I love researching it. And uh, biggest part is uh, coaching is a trade in itself within, within the sport, right? It's uh, you could be a great athlete and not a great coach and vice versa. We've seen that all the time. And I, I, I love getting down the craft of coaching. Let's back up and talk about <clears throat> your professional career because you said, hey, there's some money to be made in this. And I'm just curious, do do most people going into MMA have, I'm, I'm assuming they have dreams of, you know, being at a, a UFC event and, and making the millions and being the superstar. But I'm guessing for most people, it's it's not something that pays that well. Where does the revenue come from from being a an amateur fighter who's trying to make it pro? Well, that's actually a great question. First of all, and you, you just... Look, now, me, even though I was fairly successful in the sport, I was only able to, to quote unquote, live off of my earnings for maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one thing I was happy I did is I went back to school and I, I joked that I was fighting my way through school. I, you know, I, I tried to parlay that into something else. I, 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 I got my associate's degree, paid for my wedding, which you, if you're kids, you'll know about that later. <laughs> but um where, do the, where does the money come from? Well, when I was an amateur, I was constantly teaching privates in all forms of MMA I can, whether it's jujitsu, wrestling, grappling, sponsorships. Uh, there, there's actually a lot of, I always tell fighters that you got to keep in mind that fighting may not be forever. Oh, well, it's not going to be forever no matter how far you are, but you know, think about what tricks you're learning along the way. You need to learn sales. You got to sell yourself. You got to sell tickets to the fight. You need to learn marketing because your sponsorships want to know that you're marketable. And that's kind of how I kind of paid my way through. I tried to, you know, schedule, you know, I had an LLC for my personal training as well. And, uh, I just, uh, that that's more or less how I got through. And of course I worked at the local gym. Like I said, you know, I was coaching, uh, just try to really, find ways to make supplemental income around your schedule, which is possible. It's not, it's not easy, but it's not hard either. If you're organized, I wasn't organized. I know there's a lot of sports out there that, that maybe at the initial level aren't particularly well known. Uh, Mm -hmm. Finding sponsorships can be a struggle. Do you have any suggestions on how you find sponsors to support your career as a, an athlete who's not, yeah, necessarily a huge deal on on social media not necessarily a huge influencer right but you need you need revenue you need to show a return on investment how, how did you find those okay well there's different types of sponsorships first um think local local to yourself and local to where the event is you know i know that's kind of easier to say as a fighter but maybe we could try to compare that to something else local to me who's the local plumber that's an MMA fan or who's the local fitness center that would love to see their logo, my picture in their event, the local deli grocery store, stuff like that. And, you know, they're not going to pay you a stipend monthly or weekly, but yes, they'll give you 
$500 to go into your training camp, $500 at the fight. And then you got there all over your social media. You have all their stuff. Homegrown athlete with is backed by grocery store X, things like that. And now let's say I'm in Florida, but I'm competing in New York. Let's say I'm competing in Westchester County, New York. It's not New York City, but I could try to do my homework within that area or my manager. That's another thing is managers, managers, fighter managers or agents. I was, I, I managed for a little while. I, I worked with a manager temporarily. What's, um, can I ask what the difference between a manager and an agent is? Uh, it's, I tried to find the difference myself. It's pretty much the same thing, just a okay. different name. They're all, they, they have to book your flights. They have to book your, well, and maybe, maybe the one difference is managers have to find your competition where in other sports and with agents, your schedule is your schedule you know, with the team that you're playing with. Um, but yeah, managers have to find all that, handle those logistics in that sense. So back what I was saying, so you could get your sponsorships local to the event. If I'm fighting in Westchester County, where's the local, where's the local image, the local fitness centers there, the local delis or MMA fans, stuff that want to see that they're there. Or um, the other big one I noticed was uh, uh, car lots. Car lots love to get involved in those kind of events. Uh, just things like that, that companies feel they would get a benefit from and seeing their name, be ready to talk about uh, the draw at the event, be ready to talk about your social media and what you could do for them, what you could do for them. I know at the end, at the end of the day, it's what we can do for ourselves, but you got to do business with people. You got to know, they, they want to know what you're going to do for them. Was that then your responsibility to go to find those sponsors or your manager slash agent? Uh, it's supposed to be manager slash agent. Uh, I ended up just doing it myself. I understood it was really difficult. Um, now you will, some of these managers now back then, MMA is a very fastly grown sport in all aspects, the promotion, the athletes, as well as the management, as well as the, the front office stuff. So managers these days are a lot better with finding that stuff. It's a lot easier because MMA is more mainstream as well, where, mm the fights that I was, the lower level fights that I was on, were getting 300 people in an event. They're getting 15 people, 1500 to 2000 now. So it's a little bit easier of a push, but um, the managers would be, if you're going to start MMA today, your manager is going to find that stuff for you. When did you decide or know that professional MMA wasn't going to be your long-term career? What was that like? How did you know? What was the feeling like? Okay. How did I know? Well, acceptance. That's what you're making me think of here. Cause like, so I was, uh, I was 30 years old and I, I, I wasn't old, but I wasn't young either as far as being a prospect. And I remember I more or less had a conversation. I was getting married at the time and, uh, we wanted to start a family and I, MMA is not really a sport where, you know, there's no health insurance. There's no 401k. There's so I, I had to talk to my wife. I said, my contract's up after this fight. I'm going to try and shop around for at least a year, see if I can keep my career going. And if not, I'll, I'll go into, I'll look at what's next. So that was basically that, like what was happening around me in life? You know, I um, was, was trying to hang on, living paycheck to paycheck while I'm start trying to start a life with my now future wife. Wasn't really feasible. So um, some people have a run longer than others. I felt I was pretty good. You know, that being said, I now realize today I always am going to have one more in me. Uh, that's just the fighter, the competitor in me. 
and that's fine. You know, that's what kind of gets me out of bed to go doing other things. But um, it was, uh, I had to come to my, my senses a little bit, I guess. I had talks with, you know, my coaches, my, my family. And I said, I think that this is the plan. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to do this. And then that's when I actually started dedicating to coaching more, coaching full time. So I had another blast, another challenge. Yeah. So let's, let's move into the, the coaching aspect. You said you came in with very little knowledge beyond what you'd learned from your coaches. Mm-hmm. How have you, how have you developed as a coach? Because there are many coaches who became coaches in similar stories to yourself. They mm-hmm. were in the right place, the right time. One could argue wrong place, wrong time, depending on how you see yeah. the coaching. But there's no for, there was no formal training. There was no, I went and got my degree, et cetera, et cetera. They just went straight into to coaching and in many ways learned on the job. How have you developed from that so that you are not going to be continually hoping to get it right, if that makes sense? Okay. Well, I feel I was in the right place at the wrong time when I, when I got that. Now, I, I had said to myself, I could coach. Um, I've been coached my whole life. You know, I, I can I can coach. One of the biggest issues was, is I forget that, or at the time I forgot, you know, I had been doing this a very long time. Some of these newer or novice athletes, they're not going to know how to do things the way that I know how to do things after ex- explaining it or being explained to me after 30 seconds. It really needs to be broken down a little bit more because shooting a double leg, throwing a one-two combination is like tying my shoes. I had been doing it for 10, 15 years at the time where this person's coming in. You, it, it's it's completely unfair to ex- uh, expect that from a newer athlete, a younger athlete, even coming from the amateur to the professional level. That's a whole nother thing. It's uh, the, the speed of the game changes. You shouldn't, I, I shouldn't expect that out of them. It's my job to, to get them to expect that out of themselves. How do I do that? How do we drill that? How do we repertoire that? How do we put that into our program? It took me a while to break that down. And unfortunately, I would you know, I would get visibly frustrated at times. Like, we just explained this. And looking back, and I even saw some of them, like, well, a lot of them, lucky to me, they stuck with me as a coach. But, um, and I was like, guys, I was, that wasn't fair. I learned what I know now being around the coaching aspect of the sport. That just wasn't fair. To, you know, like, coach, it's all right. A lot of them were like, coach, you know what? We came here. We wanted to get yelled at. <laughs> but uh, I just uh, I think that's the biggest thing is don't expect on day one from your athlete what you've been doing for 15, 20 years. And once I was able to break that down and I was learning analogies to use, like one thing when we talk about level changes for dropping down for a takedown, uh, sometimes you use that term in football when you're trying to level change. How do you lift the couch? Do you want to lift the couch with your legs or do you want to lift it with your back? You know, think, little things like that. How do we how do we make the analogy to to translate what I want to, the point I want to get across? That helped me a lot too. And then I would talk about um, specific situations, stuff that I was bad at. Be be very upfront with them. Like I was not, I was never very good. My striking was always pretty poor as far as the rest of my game. So like I had to work on this, and this really helped. Or um, guys, I, that's another thing is my supporting cast. I had a great I had a great uh, assistant coach who I really I was so happy. He was the complete opposite fighter that I was because there was going to be a lot of other people that maybe I couldn't translate what I'm trying to get across to. And he can because there's more than one way to skin the cat. So 
that's how I developed. I always kept an open mind because the sport changed even from when I was competing to the way it is now. I'm noticing some differences within the sport. It's a fastly evolving sport, as all sports are. And mm -hmm. uh, just don't get stuck in that prehistoric mindset with game planning. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Ryan. If you have a question, be sure to put it in your chat box if you're watching live. We'll be back in just a minute. The mission of FSU Coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach. So I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to attack my job. If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU coach program, I would just say, don't even think about it and do it. And we're back with Ryan Quinn. Ryan, one of the, the questions I had for you was in your role as a coach, you you essentially need athletes in order to make a living right let's it's right. a business at the same time many of these athletes may have aspirations that exceed their capabilities i.e yeah. ryan uh, i want to come in i want to be i want to be on uh, in the ufc i want to be on tv i want to make millions i want you to help make me do that but i don't necessarily have the skills or athletic ability to to do that maybe even the mental ability to do that how do you balance making a living and training people without necessarily giving them false hope in the sense that they they do have those capabilities uh, or or rather they don't well you got to develop that sense of trust and respect between yourself and the athlete i think um i don't think it would be fair for somebody coming off the street on day one and for me to say you can't do it uh mm -hmm. i've had this conversation with athletes usually the first thing i say is all right well let's just get through training for a couple months and get you here regularly that's step one then we get you a fight okay you want a couple fights let's get you an amateur title fight let's see what happens things like that um unfortunately there is people with those delusions and grandeur and you just have to the, the one thing about mma is you know that i'll go train with said person and then they realize that there's a large gap between the level that they want to be at and the level that they're at um now i wouldn't let some other fighter come in and do that i know i can keep the fighter safe when i'm doing that i just let them know that this is the level and you got to think about things um but out of respect for them as well as the program you have to have that hard conversation with anything but you got to just know when to do it when is when did you develop that trust with the athlete you know and I, okay this person's coming here every day they're listening uh, listen i we, we got to work on this i think that maybe you should take a step back maybe go into grappling 
but uh, I just don't think that MMA is here for you. And then I also keep in mind situations like, well, look, look, you, you, you're quick because things got hard in the middle of that round. What's going to happen if you're fighting? That's, this isn't practice. This isn't even in, in a live game situation, let alone the UFC. And then it kind of paints the picture for them that they already painted themselves. Uh, it's not an easy conversation to have, uh, although it's a completely necessary conversation to have. How do you develop then that trust? where you can have that honest relationship. What do you have any specific strategies you use or is it just what I commonly hear in these interviews? I just get to know my athletes. Yeah. How do you get to know your athlete? Well, I, um, no, I try to say, how do you develop trust? Most people yeah, respond well, with, I get to know my athletes. Yeah. Well, I develop trust by, I let them know that I'm, I, I'm all in on the program. You know, and you're part of the program, so I'm going to make sure you're doing this right. So when they come in, you know, hey, all right, I let them know what the demands are. Just you show up, you come prepared, you come on time. And when we're doing stuff, don't be afraid to ask questions, but don't let me see you goofing off when we're trying to do this. So once I get that they're with the program, now they have my respect 100%. And then once we have that mutual respect, we work our way down. Usually by that point, they're well aware that I was a successful fighter. Um, I'm in this position for a reason. And then we know how to break things down. Um, I, as, as much as I always loved my athletes, I, I was never truly a, a player's coach, so to speak. Like I wanted them to know that like, you know, you got plenty of friends. We're here to do business. You know, we're here to progress. And usually uh, more often than not, they would actually come to coach. I'm really having problems here. What do you think's the future? Just things like that. I'm like, yeah, OK, well, we could try to figure this out. Like I said, we only get through step one first. Maybe an MMA first fight is not MMA fight first, not for you. We go into grappling something. But I just we, we develop that trust by just showing up for one another every day. Plain and simple. Some athletes um, may be extremely talented and have lots of potential. But I've noticed, at least when I've worked with some athletes, that I want their success as a coach more than they want their success as an athlete how do you how do you handle that situation where you can see the talent they have but in many ways they're wasting it uh yeah sometimes first it's 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 hard that's a hard conversation i've had with myself is i can't want it more than they do you, know, you can bring the horse to water you can't make them drink now they're being there they're doing quantity work not quality work and they're just doing enough and you know what they're getting by because they're so dang talented but you got to let them know like you're going to hit a wall with what you're doing or not necessarily what you're doing in training but outside of training that's mm. going to translate to the fight we used to always say in wrestling there's going to be a time where your body asked you in the winter what you did all summer and that's an analogy i bring to them you're a talented individual the sky's the limit we all believe in you but when you're doing stuff like this, it kind of looks like you don't believe in yourself or you're taking your abilities for granted. And hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. We've seen it all the time. And I told him I was that guy. I was like, I used to work my butt off. I was only the favorite in five of my professional fights. And I went on, I won, I won 16 professional fights, 19 total. And uh, I was ranked in the world. So it's like, I, I tell him, don't run into somebody like me because they're not going to go away in the first round. I get you, coach. I get you. Okay, coach, let's do it. Let's do it. But sometimes 
they don't want to hear it. And you know what? I just tell them, maybe this isn't the place for you. I did have one situation. Me and said athlete are, we're cool now, but he was like that. And he was, he was kind of like disrupting the culture of what we had going on. And he left, he went on, had some success. Our program went on to have a lot of success. So, you know, sometimes I got to bite the bullet too and be like, I, I, maybe I'm too proud to let this talented individual walk, you know, but if it's not working, you know, it's, it's just not working you know, it's at the end of the day. Hmm. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced going from player to, or player, sorry, athlete to now coach and making that transition? And now just as being a coach, what are some of the challenges you face in your sport? Yeah. So, um, like I said prior a lot, like don't expect these athletes to know what you know now. And, uh, like I remember when, you know, I finally, I got down the curriculum aspect of the sport. Now they're looking for fights. I have to schedule those fights. And then they're asking me, what weight class should I fight at? What do you mean? What, what are you asking me for? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, I forget. I'm like, all right, step on the scale. Let's, let's go through this. And I, let's see. I was like, I really would like to guide you guys to get the calibrations. I don't want to really, I don't, especially as an amateur, I prefer they didn't cut a lot of weight because a lot of for those of you who don't know what cutting weight is it's losing fit weight really fast to get to a weight class that you come right up Can i really you, just wanted them a lot of them go ahead before you before you kind of continue can you just explain what the rules are in terms of how how weight weighing occurs and the timing of that so people understand how quickly mma athletes have to cut weight yes so mixed martial arts and boxing you weigh in 24 hours it's actually 36 hours now before you fight and then as long as you make weight they don't care what you weighed a week before they don't care what you weigh an hour later so a lot of fighters and i've been in a situation cut a lot of weight to get down to where we got to be can and we then we a lot of weight what can you give an example of maybe weight you've cut okay uh my my last weight cut went really well. I lost about, I only had like seven pounds to lose in the last day. But I remember when I was in Russia, I was stuck on a plane holding a lot of water and I had to lose 20 pounds in one day. Oh and I, uh, it was, it was really difficult. <laughs> I got it off because if you miss weight, there goes 20% of your purse. So, and out there, it's also a little different. They, uh, they tend to mess with the American athletes. Whenever I get a sweat going, like it was, I was in Chechnya in the winter, so it was really cold outside. They would tell me to move from location to location, so I would stop sweating, and, mm. and I would get cold, and it was, it was, it was miserable. Um, but then again, that was a mistake I made as an athlete because I was, I was clearly messing around a few months before. You know, like I said, I was holding on some water from the plane. They flew me out late too. Like I basically had to get off the plane and start cutting weight. Um, but uh, do you think that was fun? No. The, the only thing that got me through that was uh, if I get through this, I can get through anything. That's what I would tell myself. Now, um, the lesser weight cuts. Now, granted, like the last weight cut I had, because, you know, by then I was a little more mature. I was getting weight. Seven pounds sounds like a lot. It's really not because I was I was drinking so much water the day prior. I was really, really hydrated. So when I got that sweat going, I dropped like five pounds. So it was like two pounds that I had to lose. I went to bed like two pounds over after that. I woke up on weight the next morning because what people don't realize is you actually do, you breathe, you burn calories, you go to sleep and I, and it was all good. 
But uh, that's more or less the examples that I have. And that's how weight cutting works. Now, that being said, I didn't really want my athletes to focus on that when they were fighting, especially as amateurs. I wanted them to worry about getting down the curriculum. I wanted them to worry about growing into their bodies. I didn't want them to hurt themselves because no matter what, you know, I can't go home with the athlete. They're going to, they might do something stupid or they might cut weight stupid, which had happened anyway, that I don't want them worried about. Now, if they have a few pounds. Yes, we'll get it off. But other than that, I'd rather you just have fun and be happy about trading as opposed to being miserable that you're losing weight. Mm-hmm. I suspect though that some athletes may take things into their own hands and do things that, that might yep. be ill-advised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, um, the, the best thing is that I could say is before anything, I really made sure I actually had uh, nutritionists come in and speak with my team that I just wanted them to know what was available. I would always send them resources. I would speak with them myself on my experiences, the one I just told you about, and just let them know, like, don't make this the training camp. The training camp needs to be focused on this. As soon as you catch yourself doing stuff outside of what we just discussed, maybe run it by me, but odds are it's probably not a good fit for what we're doing. Um, when I was younger, I used to spit, you know, I'd get the Skittles and spit and, and wrestling and, and, you know, then I'm dehydrated. I'm miserable, even if it's for a couple hours. Um, so that I, I just try to let them know that I know all the tricks. I tried all the tricks. They were all dumb. Just try to do this right and try to be healthy for yourself. What advice do you have for, for coaches, whether it be an MMA or otherwise that you've learned along the way that, that you'd want to pass on to others? Be open-minded. I understand when we're in a position of authority, uh, we want things to work because we want, because it's, it's our name. We want to, we want, we want, we want to be successful. Right. But just, especially with MMA, because there's so many ways to win, just be open-minded both to other coaches, to cross collaborate to your athletes as well. You know, maybe I've had some athletes show me things that I wasn't aware of, but also when you're open with your athletes, they're going to be open with you. And if there's stuff going on, whether it's in training, out of training, that all affects training. That, that's where that level of trust develops, and it all starts with being open-minded. Just jotting down some notes. Good stuff. Um, right. Now, last question then. If people do want to reach out, I know most people watch this later, listen to the podcast. What's the best way for them to connect with you if they have any questions? Yeah, I would I would love to speak with everybody. I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram at... Uh, Mighty Quinn MMA. I'm also on Twitter at Mighty Quinn MMA. Also have a YouTube channel that's for talks about mixed martial arts analysis. I'm on Fight Court podcast with Dean Thomas. Uh, that we, you could always write us on there on YouTube. I'm on YouTube. I learned YouTube as well. And would love to mix it up with you, whether it's talking coaching, talking mixed martial arts, grappling, whatever. Love it all. And for those listening to the podcast, that's at Mighty, M-I-G-H-T-Y, Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N-M-M-A. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. I hope everybody watching or listening has enjoyed the show. Just a reminder, everybody, that we try to do these every couple of weeks. So be sure to subscribe either to our podcast, podcast, (laughs) our (laughs) podcast on Spotify or our YouTube channel. But on behalf of myself, Tim Baggers and Ryan Quinn, thanks so much for watching. Thank you so much, Tim. This was a blast.